Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. On today's show, the ongoing coup attempt in Venezuela by the Trump administration underscores the rift between anti-imperialists and those championing American exceptionalism. The imperialists in Congress and the imperialists in the White House believe that this is the 19th century where they can determine the fate of Venezuela and the fate of the people of Latin America. But the people of Venezuela have a message. We are not your backyard. We no longer and never have belonged to the United States. And crowds in D.C. and all over the world rally in support of press TV journalist Marzia Hashimi, who was released this week by U.S. officials after being detained and imprisoned for 11 days with no charges. She is definitely someone who is a role model for us, who teaches us that despite the odds against you, despite the circumstances against you, you have a duty to say the truth. Those stories, voices, and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And this week, the long-running attempt by the U.S. government to destroy the democratically elected government of Venezuela reached a new stage as the Trump administration recognized the leader of Venezuela's National Assembly to be president, the equivalent, for example, of a foreign leader declaring that Nancy Pelosi is the U.S. president. In response, Venezuela's actual elected leader, Nicolas Maduro, cut all diplomatic ties to the U.S. and gave U.S. officials 72 hours which is now down to about 24 hours to leave the country. U.S. officials responded to Maduro, refusing to withdraw U.S. diplomats, obviously setting the stage for heightened conflict. Venezuela's Vice President Delcy Rodriguez also responded to a video released by Vice President Mike Pence, in which Pence called for a coup in Venezuela. Because Mr. Pence doesn't have a job, now he wants to come and run Venezuela, handing out instructions on what should happen in Venezuela tomorrow, openly calling for coup d'etat in Venezuela. I will say it like the Venezuelan people would say it to you. Yankee, go home. More on Venezuela with historian Gerald Horn later in the show. Now, while the Trump administration is ratcheting up tensions in South America, the U.S. public is in the 35th day of the partial shutdown of the federal government with 800,000 workers either furloughed or working without pay. On Wednesday, hundreds of workers filled the Hart Senate office building and held a silent vigil holding up paper plates to symbolize the meals they must feed their families. Warnings are being issued from almost every federal agency, from the Transportation Safety Administration to the FBI, about the shutdown creating dangers to the American public. And as federal workers begin to line up for food pantries and even homeless shelters, some, like Kashawn Latimer, struggle to meet medical needs. The Maryland resident told a local NBC News affiliate that she must choose between rent and chemotherapy treatments for her stage 2 cancer. Worst case scenario, we lose our home. I'll be evicted and I have to go stay with friends or family or something. That's worst case. And that's next month. And negotiate with my chemo. That has to happen. So... If it's chemo or the rent, 
chemo rinse. Federal workers are not the only ones taking to the streets in D.C. In the past eight days, there have been several actions, including the Indigenous People's March, the March for Life, the Women's March, and observances for the birthday of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Chantal James has more. Hundreds of residents of D.C. braved temperatures in the teens on Monday for the 42nd annual Martin Luther King Jr. Holiday Peace Walk and Parade. The Peace Walk and Parade has always been an opportunity for community organizations, local officials, and residents alike to pay homage to the spirit of King in their work. A peace walk began at 9 a.m. and was followed by a parade that led from the Anacostia Art Center and coursed through Southeast D.C. We spoke to members of social justice organizations on the day of, to get the reflections on King's legacy and what they do. Okay, so what's your name? Alexis Squire. Alexis, okay, so what is it that brought you out to celebrate Dr. Sure. King today? Um, I'm actually representing my organization, Community of Hope. Great. Uh, we are an organization that's dedicated to providing hope for low-income people of Washington, D.C., especially those who are uh, experiencing homelessness. We have three medical centers, um, one of which is located east of the river. Um, and so we're here today just really to represent the people who we serve and the communities that we serve um, in the spirit of Dr. King, just making sure that we're representing it about service. Great. So you all really feel like you're doing Dr. King's work here Absolutely. Oh, I am hip-hop artist Frankie Boss from War 8, and we just did the MLK Day Parade. I marched today in the parade with the Statehood Coalition delegation with our senators, our Senator Paul Strauss, Senator Michael Brown, and our U.S. Representative uh, Franklin Garcia, as well as our nonprofit organization, Free D.C., and we marched for social justice, as Martin Luther King did, but we also marched for social justice for Washington, D.C., being the 51st state. Excellent. Thank you. And so you you feel like Dr. King's life is speaking to the fight for D.C. statehood? Well, what Martin Luther King fought for was social equality and justice. Now, he did do it for our blacks and our whites, but justice is what he wanted for all. And as Martin Luther King wanted justice for all, that is obviously a reflection and can be reflected within our city, gaining full democracy. Thank you. From Southeast D.C., this is Chantal James. And locally, activists also celebrated a victory that is one step toward decriminalization of the district's poor residents. Lydia Curtis is on the case. On Wednesday, January 17th, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser vetoed the Fair Evasion Decriminalization Act, a bill popular with residents and the D.C. Council that would reduce the penalty for not paying on metro buses and trains to a $50 fine. Written by Councilman Trayon White, this bill is seen by many citizens and the D.C. Council as a way of reducing the prison pipeline. Previously, fair evaders were subject to arrest, a $300 fine, and a criminal record. Decriminalizing fair evasion would slow down the number of young people who obtained criminal records because they did not pay. This is viewed by the Council as a plus for the community, protecting youth making unwise decisions from ruining their future job chances 
and educational opportunities with a criminal record. But the mayor sees it differently. Here is the mayor on the Kojo Nandi Politics Hour show on WAMU, January the 18th. I uh, fundamentally disagree with the premise that some people should pay it on Metro and some people shouldn't. Um, we have a Metro system that uh, has a, a system of rules. It, it has fares um, and we should expect everybody uh, to abide by the rules of the system. On Tuesday, January 22nd, the council voted to override the veto by 11 to 2 with council members Mendelson and Evans voting in support of the mayor's veto. In a published statement, Councilman Trayon White said that the bill seeks to make the punishment fit the crime, comparing fair evasion to a parking violation. Councilman White also cites statistics from the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs revealing that 91% of the citations in a two-year period were issued to African-Americans and that fair evasion enforcement was concentrated at certain metro stations like the Anacostia and Gallery Place stations. He concluded his published statement with the following, quote, we need to be proactive and redirect our focus on the real issue let us work together to determine the true cause of fair evasion. This is Lydia Curtis in Washington, D.C. And speaking of activism, the D.C. chapter of Extinction Rebellion is participating in a nationwide day of nonviolent civil disobedience and protest on Saturday, January 26th, noon to 3 p.m. at Pershing Park, 15th and Pennsylvania Avenue in Northwest D.C. Extinction Rebellion is a new global movement dedicated to raising the alarm about the dire threat of climate change. The website is xrebellion.org. And finally in culture and media, the attack on alternative and progressive information outlets continues. After being freed from 11 days of imprisonment with no charges, journalist Marzia Hashimi told Press TV Thursday night that her ordeal of being suddenly transformed from a free woman into an incarcerated inmate was almost surreal. The 59-year-old African-American mother and grandmother who works for Press TV in Iran said that prison officials told her that she was being detained as a material witness and that they shackled in prison and put her in a solitary confinement because she was considered a flight risk. But the main thing is, is that if I was a material witness, then subpoena me and tell me to come and talk to you. Dealing with the FBI, I've been dealing with them for several years when I come back and forth, and they've talked to me when I was arriving or leaving for Iran, and I've always talked to them. Uh, so what made you think that I would not talk to you again? They chose not to subpoena me uh, because of flight risk. I'm funny. not going to run yeah. away. I believe that I have a reputation and there's no reason for me to run away. Yes, I, I live in Iran and I work in Iran right now, but I do come back and forth to the United States and it is my home and I have the right to come here whenever I want. And I want that right. And my children, two of my children and my grandkids are here. So why would I run away if they want to question me 
when I'm not wanted for a crime. Why would I do that to myself? As we go to broadcast on Friday morning, January 25th, 2019, Hashimi is scheduled to join supporters at a rally today at 3 p.m. at the U.S. District Court at 333 Constitution Avenue in Northwest D.C. And in other media news, lawyers for journalist Julian Assange have filed a petition to the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights to pressure the U.S. to reveal its sealed charges against him and to stop the U.S. from pressuring Ecuador to extradite him from their London embassy. Also, Facebook deleted hundreds of pages that it said were run by employees at Sputnik, the Russia-based radio and internet news organization. 75 Sputnik employees have been blacklisted for posting on these pages. The reason that Facebook gave for the removal is that the pages promoted anti-NATO views. NATO, or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, funds one of the right-wing organizations, the Atlantic Council, which Facebook uses to monitor content. Media critic Peter Gowan is sounding the alarm after the Baffler online magazine removed an opinion piece in support of Bernie Sanders for president and alluded to threats that the piece could endanger the magazine's nonprofit status. Gowan said, of course, as a C3, they cannot organizationally endorse, but the piece was written by a contributor, not their board. He added, quote, we should be clear. Legal threats or concerns have prevented political speech by supporters of a socialist presidential candidate in a significant left publication. It is very worrying and could have chilling effects across the sector if not opposed and resisted, end quote. And finally, the quote of the week gets a wow emoji from me. Former FBI Deputy Assistant Director Terry Turchi told Fox News in a recent interview that when he joined the agency, their purpose was to keep progressives out of elected office. Listen. The electorate in some places is putting more and more progressives and self-described socialists in positions. And uh, ironically, uh, years ago when I first got into the FBI, one of the missions of the FBI in its counterintelligence efforts was to try and keep these people out of government. Why? Because we would end up with massive dysfunction and massive disinformation and massive misinformation. And it seems to me that's where we're at today. Again, that gets a wow emoji. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, activists rally in Northwest D.C. on Wednesday night and say hands off Venezuela. Stay with us. Somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. I'm Esther Averam. Well, within hours of the Trump administration illegally recognizing Venezuela's National Assembly President Juan Guaido as the president of Venezuela, activists gathered outside the Venezuelan embassy in the Georgetown section of D.C. Here are some of their voices, including Medea Benjamin, Jaime Cruz, and Brian Becker. I'm here with Medea Benjamin from Code Pink, and why'd you come out to this uh, rally, Medea? I'm absolutely disgusted that Donald Trump is saying that he's recognizing the head of the National Assembly, who was never elected president by the people of Venezuela, as Venezuela's president. It is just an example of what the U.S. used to do in Latin America in strangling countries economically, like we did to Chile in the 1970s, like taking out governments that were not friendly to U.S., and particularly U.S. business interests. And it's a repetition, and we know in those examples, as well as more recent ones like Honduras, that the result is tremendous violence and hardship for the people of Venezuela. Let's be clear, the people of Venezuela are suffering right now. It's a very terrible situation. A lot of it is mismanagement by the Maduro government, but a lot of it is because of uh, economic sanctions imposed by the U.S. And so really, we have to make sure that our government does not determine who is the leader of other countries. And we have to stand up and say, get out of Venezuela, let the people of Venezuela determine who are their leaders. Yeah, my name is Jaime Cruz. I work with the Trabajadores Unidos of Washington, D.C. And uh, it's necessary to address this issue of the closure of federal employees, but yet we have the monies and we can have resources to intervene. A country like Venezuela, who has done nothing to the U.S., it's the other way around. The U.S. has prevented Venezuela to have access to its money in Sitco, New York. And by the way, Sitco, the Venezuelan government, has provided petroleum to heat the apartments and houses of poor people in New York City. They have the money there, but it's frozen. That $20 billion that's being held could be invested in Venezuela to create more housing. They've, in four years, they've constructed housing for the poor people in Venezuela. Why doesn't the U.S. do the same thing here? We need rent control over here. We need affordable housing over here. We need to deal with the issue of mass incarceration. We need to deal with the issue of women being discriminated. Hey, let's focus attention on the U.S. Let's open up this government. And we held hostage, the people held hostage. We got to say no to all that. It's time to stop crying and let's mobilize. We need action. We need people out here in the streets. That's the only way. Hands up, Venezuela! Hands up, Venezuela! Hands up, Venezuela! Maduro, si! Yankee, Maduro, si! Yankee, Maduro, si! Yankee, Sisters and brothers, the reason we're here today and the reason people are gathering just like this in San Francisco, in L.A., in New York, in Chicago, in fact, all over the United States, as we're here to say that Trump can speak in the name of the American people, but he does so without our consent. The American government 
has no right to tell people in Venezuela who their leadership will be. Only Venezuela will determine its own destiny. The American people say no to that imperialism. Right now, you have, for the last two years, the Democrats in Congress denouncing Trump for colluding with Russia in the U.S. election. Well, here we have evidence. Here we have clear evidence that Donald Trump is colluding with foreigners to meddle in and to overturn the election process in another country, the country of Venezuela. And the Democrats right now are virtually silent, not a peep out of them, because if Trump were to succeed, if Trump were to succeed in overturning Venezuelan democracy, the imperialists in Congress, including all of the leaders of the Democratic Party, would applaud Trump. That yeah. proves that the Republicans Ooh. under Trump or the Democrats under Pelosi and Schumer have more in common with each other than they do with the people of the United States or the people of Venezuela. The imperialists in Congress and the imperialists in the White House believe that this is the 19th century where they can determine the fate of Venezuela and the fate of the people of Latin America. But the people of Venezuela have a message. We are not your backyard. We no longer and never have belonged to the United States. And when the Venezuelan people do what they must do to defend their democracy, we're here to say in front of this embassy that they have the support and the solidarity of all people who believe in peace, all people who believe in justice, all people who believe in solidarity, and all people who reject imperialism. That's why we're here. We say yes to Maduro and no to Trump. We say yes to Maduro and no to Pelosi. Maduro see, Trump no. Maduro see, Trump no. Maduro see, Trump no. Maduro see, Trump no. Soy un Congo de la madre, África. Venimos el Congo de la madre, África. No traigo un Congo de su madre, África. Somos del Congo de la madre, África. Yo soy un Congo de la madre, África. Venimos el Congo de la madre, África. No traigo un Congo de su madre, África. Somos del Congo de la madre, África. Soy un Congo de la madre, Congo de la madre. Soy un Congo.
África Pero café con leche Vivo alquilado, arrecotado, arrecotado, tao Vivo arrimado, arrecotado, arrecotado, tao Vivo la vida que edito, como no Inventándome una todo el día ando yo Antes tenía todo pelado, ya estoy pelado This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And now to discuss the crisis in Venezuela and other international news, I'm joined by On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Welcome back to the show, Gerald, for the first time in 2019. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, I don't know if you heard the previous segment, but some of the protesters outside the Venezuelan embassy here in D.C. on Wednesday night, kind of compared the stance of the Trump administration, Mike Pence's really bombastic comments to the 19th century and the United States feeling that it can basically treat Venezuela like it's in its backyard and and just control it and all of Latin America. So what's your take on things? I know things are moving very rapidly, but what's your take on what's happened this week? Well, actually, it reminds me of what took place in Chile, uh, Venezuela's neighbor in the early 1970s, when there was enormous and inordinate pressure on the socialist government of Salvador Allende, culminating in a coup d'etat by the military on September 11, 1973, led by Augusto Pinochet, who then served a number of years as a fascist dictator. It's apparent that Washington and its allies are trying to execute a coup in Caracas, It's ironic that there are those who consider themselves part of the anti-Trump coalition, including the media, such as MSNBC and New York Times and groups like NAACP, who are either acting as cheerleaders or are quiet, eerily quiet about this, even though the overthrow of Maduro would give untold momentum to Donald J. Trump that would be then turned against the anti-Trump coalition. So this is not in their self-interest, whether they know it or not. Now, fortunately, Caracas and Maduro, they have allies. Russia has spoken out very strongly. So has Turkey, by the way. We all know that Cuba and China stand with Caracas. You may have noted that the new government in Mexico City has not joined the coup plotters, which is highly significant, and of course, understandably, neither have Bolivia and Nicaragua, because all know that they are next in line to be subjected to a coup if Donald J. Trump succeeds in Caracas. Now, sadly enough, there are other nations who really should know better, because they have foreign ministries, they have diplomats on the ground. I'm thinking of Canada, and some of the EU states in particular, especially Germany, uh, who have not uh, stood tall, particularly Canada, uh, which has stood alongside the United States, even though they must realize that the United States is trying to convert in this Trump era erstwhile allies into vassal states. That is the import of his attempted bullying of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his attempted bullying of Chancellor Angela Merkel. And so likewise, if Mr. Trump succeeds in Caracas, next on the chopping block will be pressure on both Ottawa and Berlin. So I would hope and imagine that the progressive forces in Canada and in Germany would then put pressure on their government to do the right thing. What are your thoughts about the, I guess, nakedness of what's being said 
I think that even in 72, there was just the idea of covert action. Any thoughts on just how naked and how, or is this just part of the Trump style that imperialism doesn't have to wear a mask anymore? Well, I think that's it. And I think it's also part of the new moment that we're in, which I was tending to suggest with my remarks about Canada and Germany. That is to say that U.S. imperialism under Trump has decided that the old way of doing business doesn't work anymore. That's why there's not only going to be an attempt to convert erstwhile allies into vassal states, but to crack down even further on those who are not towing the line. And Venezuela is antagonist and enemy number one as far as Mr. Trump is concerned. But if he succeeds in Caracas, make no mistake, next in line will be Cuba, Mexico, Bolivia, Uruguay, Nicaragua, etc. Over the week, I've heard a few different phrases used to describe the situation in Venezuela. Some people have said the coup. They're just calling it a coup. Some people are calling it an attempted coup. And I've also read some reports about Colombia already being active in Venezuela, paramilitary, if not outright military units in Venezuela, joining up with the right wing extremists in Venezuela. So what's your take on where things stand and how the Maduro government is able to resist it and combat it? Well, I would characterize it as a slow motion coup, a step-by-step coup. It's a very dangerous situation with Mr. Maduro expelling U.S. diplomats, giving them now about 48 to 24 hours to leave, and Mr. Pompeo and Mr. Trump saying their diplomats are not going anywhere. That's going to lead to a confrontation. I would warn and caution the conservative government in Bogota, Colombia, to tread very carefully. As you know, the peace process in Colombia is very fragile. There are those who would like to see a rapid exit of that right-wing government, and the government might set in motion forces that lead to their demise if they're not careful. Well, there are certainly other international news this week. Certainly, we're keeping our eye on Venezuela, number one. But there was also uh, news out of Europe, the Davos Economic Forum happening. And I think Italy made some news in terms of its denunciations of France. Yeah, this was very curious. (laughs) The conservative government in Italy denounced France because of its role in Africa. The government in Rome said that because of its crass and brutal exploitation of Africa, France is a top 10 economy, and without this exploitation, it would barely be in the top 20. Now, we know that there's no honor amongst thieves, and so we should not be surprised that Rome denounces Paris to that degree, and we all know that Italy's hands are not clean. It sought to take part in the colonial banquet in the 1890s when it tried to take over Ethiopia and was defeated, and in the 1930s when it was partially successful until it was ousted in the 1940s. We also know that Italy, as we speak, is turning away African refugees, rather uh, preferring for them to drown in the Mediterranean rather than get onto Italian soil. But having said that, uh, Rome has a point. But I think the problem is, among others, 
is that Italy is filling a vacuum. Uh, what I mean is that in the black American community, when you hear talk about Africa, basically all you hear nowadays is that China is the new colonial power in Africa. And there's little to say about France, which is the true vampire. There's little to say about Saudi Arabia, which has been recruiting child soldiers in Darfur, Sudan, to use as cannon fodder in Yemen. And despite all of this uh, self-congratulation about being, quote, African-American, unquote, the solidarity with Africa really leaves a lot to be desired in our community. And, for example, you know, I'm publishing a book in a few weeks on the U.S. role in Southern Africa from the late 19th century up until independence in South Africa in 1994. And one of the things I bring out is that the NAACP in the early 1950s worked hand in glove with the CIA to try to split the ANC on anti-communist grounds. And joining them in that uh, ill-advised venture was Ralph Bunch, a former Howard University professor. Uh, I also talk about how in 1974, the Sixth Pan-African Congress in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, uh, many of our black nationalist friends outraged Africans when they were counseling liberation movements not to work with the Soviet Union, which would, of course, meant the demise of many of these liberation movements. And sadly, because of these kinds of weaknesses, which oftentimes are not ventilated or discussed, this vacuum is left, and now filling the vacuum and denouncing righteously this exploitation of Africa by France as this right-wing government in Rome. And I must say once again that there's no honor amongst thieves. Why did Italy pick out France as opposed to all the other European countries that were in Africa. So why France as opposed to Britain or the Portuguese or all the other colonizers? Well, I would say for a number of reasons. One, I think France stands out, quite frankly, even above and beyond Portugal and Britain and Belgium in terms of being the exploiter of Africa. Secondly, these are close neighbors, and oftentimes neighbors know each other better than others. These are close neighbors that have also had a long history of military conflict themselves, that is to say, up to and including war. So I think that that helps to shed light on why uh, Italy singled out France. And then, of course, France is pressuring uh, Italy to try to stay in line with European Union guidelines with regard to government spending and Rome is objecting because it says that Paris is not even in line with those guidelines. Right, right. In other words, basically saying, you, you know, you think your economy is so great, but hey, it wouldn't even be that great if you hadn't, you know, like raped Africa for like, you know, 300 years. So anyway. So and then finally, after our segment, I'm going to go to some sound we have from a tremendous rally here this week in support of Marzier Hashmi, the press TV journalist who was taken into custody. We can just say basically imprisoned. You know, she wasn't arrested and charged with anything, but taken into prison and then released late Wednesday night after this particular rally. So one of the, the one of the important things that was mentioned at the rally was to really contest this whole issue of being a material witness and um, what it means to be a material witness and why would a person who's a witness be imprisoned and treated this way. So what, what are your thoughts on her ordeal? 
Well, uh, Madam Hassamy, 59 years old, as you know, was born Melanie Franklin in the United States of America, born as a black American, in fact, and converted to Islam and moved to Iran and became a personality on Press TV, which is Iran's version of CNN. Uh, she is not alone. Uh, some of your listeners might be familiar with a man who's from the DMV. I'm speaking of David Belfield, who almost 40 years ago uh, got involved in anti-Shah activities in support of the nascent Iranian revolution and then went to Iran, where he's now an actor. You can see him acting in Kandahar under the name Dawood Saladin, and of course the U.S. authorities really want him back desperately and badly. In any case, I think that this case of Madam Hashemi is reflective of this uh, utter aggressiveness of the Trump team. Uh, that is to say that you know that the chief financial officer of Huawei, the Chinese conglomerate and telecommunications giant, has been detained for weeks in Canada at the behest of the U.S. authorities. Uh, as we speak, and for some time now, even under the Obama administration, the United States has been reaping billions by suing and otherwise punishing uh, European Union banks and conglomerates, forcing them to hand over billions of dollars, just like they're forcing many other uh, corporations outside the United States to uh, fork over billions in tariffs. As I said, this is part of this heightened aggressiveness of U.S. imperialism under Trump. And again, I'm, I'm really disappointed, I must say, once again, that there have not been more vocal and obstreperous voices speaking out in favor of uh, Madam Hashemi, and that is to say, where is the NAACP? I mean, is it opportunism or ideological weakness? And I, I think it's really the latter, because opportunism presupposes that they know that they're supposed to act, but they choose not to. I'm not sure if they, these organizations and individuals know that they're supposed to act in a situation like this. They might, may not know and realize that you're supposed to protest injustice against black people even if they carry an Iranian passport. They must believe implicitly that uh, the 63 million people who voted for Donald J. Trump, that that is not a formidable force that is going to be coming after them. And it also reminds me of something else that I think the press did not focus on, which is that uh, NBC sent out guidance to his journalists, including its uh, organization, MSNBC, not to characterize Congressman Stephen King as a racist, even though he acknowledged that he was a white supremacist and a white nationalist. Now, after outrage, they backed off somewhat, but the message apparently didn't get to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, who, as you know, is a favorite of Wall Street, and he's, of course, part of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, he was bold enough a few days ago to call Donald J. Trump the Grand Wizard of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but then I guess he was called on the carpet, and he denied that he meant to say that Donald J. Trump was a racist. In other words, in the United States, it's okay to be a racist. You just can't use the term. And so that's why I'm so disappointed by what's happened to Madam Hashemi. That is to say that she did not receive more support, even though I'm happy to see that she's finally been released. Well, you know about the the situation that happened a week ago here in D.C., the altercation between the Native American elder and this large group of Catholic high school boys from Kentucky, I think. 
the way that story has been so spun and twisted out of shape, it's another case where it's okay to be racist. And not only is it okay to be racist, but the media will back you up basically. And they will help you to continue to spin your way out of what is basically reality in terms of your racism. And so that's just been another very disheartening example here in DC of it's an overused term, but it's totally Orwellian where truth becomes a lie and lie becomes the truth. (laughs) We just have to like be vigilant about calling it out. And it just seems that more and more people aren't calling it out. (laughs) What it reminds me of is Richard Pryor. Uh, and his line is, uh, who are you going to believe, uh, me or your lying eyes? So we were told not to believe our lying eyes when we watched that videotape. And once again, it's, it's rather bizarre that obviously in this country in 2019, it's okay to engage in racist behavior. It's not okay to call racist behavior racist behavior. Right. That's the word. You you can't use the word. And because if you use that word, you're engaging in identity politics. <laughs> but the, the racists aren't aren't engaging in it, uh, identity politics. Anyway, I know we totally run out of time, but I want to thank our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, for joining me today. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, after being freed Wednesday from 11 days of imprisonment with no charges, journalist Marzia Hashimi told Press TV Thursday night that her ordeal of being suddenly transformed from a free woman into an inmate was almost surreal. The 59-year-old African-American mother and grandmother who works for Press TV in Iran said that prison officials told her that she was being detained as a material witness and that they shackled, imprisoned her, and put her in solitary confinement because she was considered a flight risk. Hashimi, a Muslim, was imprisoned without charges, with initially no communication with her family. In detention, her traditional Muslim head covering, her hijab, was forcibly removed, and she was initially offered only pork or products containing pork, which violates her dietary code. Her case made international news outside the United States, and the word slowly spread among Muslim women, journalists, and the African-American community inside the United States. The day that Hashimi was released, supporters had gathered to support her in front of the U.S. District Court at 333 Constitution Avenue in Northwest D.C. Who gave the order to put Mazia Hashimi in jail? Who did that? Because that person should come forward, not hide behind a bunch of FBI agents who are hired not to think. Their job is not to think. Their job is to follow orders. The one who gave those agents the order to arrest her in that St. Louis International Airport should come forward. Don't be a coward, because we have a few questions to ask you. Number one, would you like for your mother to be held as a material witness? If you are a male, what about your wife? What about your daughter? 
Would you like your daughter, your wife, your mother to be held in a prison who has a very divine and sacred dress code that must be honored under all circumstances to be violated? Do you want your mother to, to be in a cell with a t-shirt wrapped around her head? Do you want your daughter who, or your wife or your mom who has a dietary code that must be adhered to to be offered pork under the threat and the, and the possibility of dying if the person opts not to, to feed him or herself? This is government brutality, clear and simple. And our job is to resist it. The phonies, the phonies who recently talked about Dr. Martin Luther King claiming to commemorate him need to be quiet. Because if Dr. Martin Luther King was with us today, as he said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's what he said. And Malcolm X said, if you are not willing to stand for something, you will fall for anything. No child should have to witness their mother being abused. No child. No one should have to tolerate that. And particularly with tricky, hypocrite Uncle Sam, who goes around the world carrying the torch of democracy, liberty, freedom, the first constitution ever formed. Oh world, follow us. Follow you where? To a prison? No. Say it. We say no. no. We say no. Takbir. Shame, shame, USA. Shame, shame, USA. Shame, shame, USA. Same, same, USA. Same, same, USA. Good morning. God bless everybody for coming. I want to say to you in the few minutes that I have that there are going to be efforts by this conglomerated racist mainstream media to make it seem as if Marjay may have done something. It's a damn lie. And there's no crime and being black. There's no crime and being Muslim. There's no crime and being a mother. There's no crime and being a grandmother. There's no crime and being a journalist. And for God's sake, there's no crime in being a person that tells the truth. I've known Marzia Hashimi nine years. And in the nine years until I heard about this arrest, I never knew Marzia not to be true as a Muslim woman to her beliefs. In her own home, I've never seen her without her hijab on. I've had tears in my eyes for a week. I've had a hard time sleeping, hard time eating, and a hard time not being angry as hell about someone doing this to such a beautiful, wonderful, loving, caring, honest, fearless person. But I want to say this to you. The crime and the criminals are the people in that building over there and the people further down this street. Marzia Hashimi came here to see her brother
who has cancer from working and a petrochemical area where tens of thousands of people are dying from cancer because they're putting it in the air. They're black, white, brown, and they're dying, and nobody cares. And Marzier, she was willing to come here with all the stuff going on to see her brother and to see her family. And then on top of that, I've worked on two films with Marzier. This was to be the third we wanted to talk about the lynchings and the extrajudicial murders of the black activists in Ferguson and St. Louis. There are quite a few. Marcier, with Reza, drove all the way up from New Orleans to St. Louis to meet with and to provide encouragement to the families whose children have been murdered by police and by covert activity that's been going on in this country for 102 years. Marcier, they've taken her film. They've taken her freedom. But with you, each and every one of you, we will not let them take her voice. We will not let them take her passion for people. I want each and every one of you to understand and to realize that we have the power. We have to take this world back, take the government back, take everything back, and make it serve us, or we're going to go down a slippery slope from which there's no return. If you wonder what gives Marcier the courage to do this every year and day after day to speak up, whether it's Trayvon Martin, whether it's Eric Garner, whether it's the people being starved to death in Yemen or people being bombed in Pakistan or people being killed in Gaza or people being killed in Libya. Marcier's concern for humanity is that we live in peace. She needs you and we need to use this effort that we're not gonna let this happen anymore. We now have people in the Congress who are Muslim. We've got people in, that are running for office. We need to use this to demand a couple of things. We don't want any more wars. And stop messing with people who are black, brown, and Muslim in this country. And we have to commit to make a movement so strong that they'll never try to do this to one of us again. There are people who are here for you, for Marseille, for peace and justice in the world, and we the people have the power. They only think they have it because we haven't organized to take back the power and put it in the hands of people like Marcy and yourselves. Assalamualaikum. So a few, a few weeks ago, a group of us, we had well, it was um, a conference, uh, and I had the honor of doing an interview with Sister Marzia. And I guess I'm just here to share with you a youth perspective from what we see from role models who are living during our time. And one of them is Sister Marzia. And we saw it as our responsibility to come out. And the least we could do was show our support for her, for a woman, a Muslim of our time, and someone who has taken it upon herself, despite the price she had to pay, despite the challenges she faces for it every day, and despite all the odds that are against her, she is definitely someone who is a role model for us, 
who teaches us that despite the odds against you, despite the circumstances against you, you have a duty to say the truth. And she did exactly that for us. Her words and the inspiration she gave us and the message she had for us was there will always be a voice against you. But if you're not that voice against them, if you are not willing to make that noise against the oppression and the injustice going on during your time, then you're definitely not doing your role and duty as a Muslim. You're definitely not doing what God wants you to do and what your duty is as someone who believes in standing for the oppressed and against the oppressors. So that was a message that she gave us and our support for her here today and our voices are a lesson that we got from her herself and at least for the youth that we brought here with us today we in some ways are proud to have a muslim sister like her to look up to because we don't see that anymore these days we don't see people who stand up for what's right today most of us are dominated by our fears most of us are in some ways controlled by the fears we have whether it's occupation whether it's school and education whether it's opportunities and that in itself becomes what prevents us from saying what we need to say there is so much oppression going on there is so much injustice going on and sister marzia for us was a role model who taught us that there is a price to pay but if you're not willing to pay it if you're satisfied with becoming controlled by your own fears then you're not living with a purpose then you have nothing to live for in other words so we're here to show our support for here for her today and tell her that we have learned from her and tell her that we will continue having youth and the next generation is coming after the current generation who will take lesson from her and continue in her path so we'll be there to do that thank you Allah Akbar. 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 Allah and uh, knowing my sister, maybe five plus years, she took me shopping and she treated me as a brother from America. Most of you know her background. This is a bigger picture. And even though you're in America, there's a saying that we had on the plantation. The saying was, if he hollers, let him go. And it came from those of you who saw Roots and how Kunte Kente had to change his name. His name was an African name. The slave masters who made him a slave wanted him to call himself Toby from Tobias, which is a Christian name. And he was a Muslim. And he stood hard on that fact as they beat him. And one of the other slaves, played by Lou Gossip, was saying, holler, scream, make some noise. And maybe they would lighten up the beating of him to change his name. So bringing that home to this rally for Sister Mazia, a beautiful sister, hardworking sister. She's known around the world. 
Look at uh, Khashoggi, Jamil Khashoggi, and his brutal murder in Saudi Arabia. The whole world lifted up their voice because of what happened to that journalist. She is a journalist, and the world should lift up its voice. You cannot be covered with fear. And many of our immigrant Muslim brothers and sisters who were not born here and your family is here, you know that any day they can make up a, a law, being that you have a president whose elevator doesn't go to the top, they refuse to commit him and let him see a doctor, he can put people out of America anytime he wants and find a reason. So we were brought here in the holds of slave ships. They may want us to go, because after the Mexicans, we are the next, but they can't put us out for opening our mouth. They can't silence us. That was Minister Akbar Muhammad, and before that, Sarah Salimi, Randy Short, and at the start, Salahuddin Abdul Karim, speaking at the Show Up for Marzia Hashimi rally, Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019, at the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia in Northwest D.C. As we go to broadcast on Friday morning, January 25th, 2019, Hashimi is scheduled to join supporters at a rally today, 3 p.m. at the U.S. District Court at 333 Constitution Avenue in Northwest D.C. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. The music we played this hour included EST, Bitwaya, and A. Marie. You can contact us, support us, and partner with us and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. We're on Facebook and Twitter under On The Ground Show, and we are on iTunes and Google Play under the title WPFW On The Ground. And you can subscribe to On The Ground on Patreon. I'm Esther Averam, and... 